Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. And I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today on the pod, we have Dr. Joshua S. Yamamoto, a cardiologist, former cardiology consultant to the attending physician for the U.S. Congress, and co-author of You Can Prevent a Stroke with his spouse, Dr. Kristen E. Thomas. You Can Prevent a Stroke details a landmark approach to understanding and navigating the natural aging process to prevent the heart and brain from failing. The book gives us insight into what we need to do and what we can ask of our doctors to manage the effects of aging on our circulation so that we do not have a stroke. Dr. Yamamoto is a DC native. He has a degree in physics from Princeton University, a medical degree from Dartmouth, and he was trained in internal medicine at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. He completed his training in cardiology at the National Naval Medical Center and Georgetown University. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, Josh. Well, thank you. It's, it's great to be here. So let's, let's get started about your book. So you wrote this book with your wife, Dr. Mm-hmm. Kristen Thomas, um, and in this book, you describe an approach to stroke prevention. Can you tell us about the approach and how you created it? Sure. The, um, there's actually a very, very relevant story. A couple years back, we had a, a, a patient, delightful man that was a, a, another Washingtonian named Bill Lilly. And one day there was an article in the paper about the latest fancy way to try to rescue somebody having a stroke, how to, mm-hmm. how to treat that. And he came to me uh, and he said, hey, Josh, what's the best way to treat a stroke? And I looked at him and I said, Bill, uh, that's the wrong question. The best way to treat a stroke is to prevent it. And he he really was flummoxed by that. And he looked at me and said, you can prevent a stroke? And I said, well, yes, Bill, you can prevent a stroke. And we turned that question into a statement. You can prevent a stroke. And he's the one who said, look, you, you need to write this down. All the things that we explain of, of how we do and what we do because even the CDC estimates that 80% of strokes are preventable. And I, I have to tell you, it's one of those things that's always weighed on me, meaning I, I really don't like strokes. I mean, nobody likes a stroke, but <laughs> you don't like strokes? Gee, what a spot. <laughs> but see, we're trained in cardiology. Cardiologists like to be heroes. If you're having a heart attack, I can rush in there, stent something, open up a blocked artery, and really feel like a hero. It's not as glamorous to say, look, you you need to do the following. You need to eat well, treat diabetes, and take your statin, and you'll never have a heart attack. That's, That's not that exciting, but a stroke doesn't have that ability to rescue. And we always see somebody having a stroke and go, oh my goodness, they're now brain damaged. Isn't that such a random and tragic thing? And it's very tragic, but not at all random. It quite methodically is something that we could have seen how we looked. Had had we looked at somebody to say, look, what's the health of their arteries? What's the health of their heart? Because how you feel isn't going to tell us whether or not you're likely to have a stroke. And so we've just begun to codify that whole process to say, you can prevent a stroke, here's what you can do. And you have to, you, the doctor needs to work with you, the person, the patient together to say, I need to understand my health and tell me what I can do to prevent a stroke. That's really interesting. Um, 
when you mentioned that, I, I definitely agree. I, I feel like that's what we think of when we think about in cardiology. But there's kind of a new movement now in cardiology of the whole preventative cardiology movement. How does that, that sure. really differ? So I, I characterize myself as an invasive preventive cardiologist. <laughs> and it's when I was in training, I'll be honest, we used to kind of almost make fun of the preventive guys because we would say, look, how many blood tests do you need to order before you ask somebody <laughs> to take some Lipitor? But that's not what we do in the 21st century. I'll, I'll digress just a moment and say, I, I still have a teenager at home and he never misses an opportunity to make fun of me, especially if I'm doing something old fashioned. <laughs> and if I do something old fashioned, he'll look at me and say, hey, dad, what was it like back in the 1900s? <laughs> and I said, I'm going to quote you on that. And he's got a point. And what I mean by that is it was the 1900s. I went to medical school in the 1900s. All of our guidelines were basically set in the 1900s. Mm. This whole paradigm of labeling everything as a disease. We, we look at the 1900s now and say, this was the age of naming and shaming meaning mm -hmm. everything wrong with you, we're going to name and say, that's a disease. And we're going to wag our finger at you and say, this is your fault. <laughs> but the 21st century, and here's the, the key thing that we really are putting out through the, the Foxhall Foundation, our nonprofit, is to say, look, aging is a natural process. Our book is titled, You Can Prevent a Stroke, but it, one of its subtitles was, you know, uh, there's almost almost no such thing as heart disease. It's just natural aging. And when you approach life to say, look, I'm going to get older now. I'm aging. I'm over 50. What naturally happens to me? How is this going to change things? Let me navigate aging rather than being told that everything is a disease. The healthiest people understand that aging is a process that's going to change us. What are the tools that I have to keep that from causing harm? So prevention then is an interventional process. You don't just sit back and say, oh, I don't want you to age. That doesn't work that way. We're, we're supposed to, you know? Whenever my patients say, oh, I don't want to get old, it's like, well, you know, it does kind of beat the alternative. However, mm -hmm. the idea is we want to grow old without disability. So what are we preventing? We're preventing heart damage. We're preventing brain damage. We're preventing strokes, heart attacks, heart failure. We can say we're preventing premature death. We all die. That's okay. But we don't want to be damaged. Most of my patients will tell me, look, I, I get it. I'm getting older. Someday I'm going to die, but I don't want a stroke. I don't want to have a disability. I don't want to lose my independence or my function. And for heaven's sakes, I don't want to be dependent upon my children. So <laughs> we can look at that and say, how do we navigate aging? And that's, that's the real paradigm shift. Prevention is about prospectively, proactive, proactively navigating a natural process. And there are some things that you know, you may be too far gone, but there are other things people would be very surprised about that if you make these lifestyle changes can have an impact. I don't know if I would ever say you're too far gone. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. No, no, well, okay. But I know what you're trying to say. And I, and I would, I would go right there with you and say, it's never too late to say, well, what is my health now? And what can I do? do about it. And here's the thing, it's, 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 there are lifestyle choices and there are some key factors. 
that have to do entirely with the passage of time. That you can do everything right, but you're not immune from the passage of time, nor are any of us immune from our genetics. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the doctors come in. Now, yes, you should be fit, you should stay active, you should eat well. We all know that, we can personalize that, but you know what? We have a genetic predisposition and time passes. So what I'd like to do is just kind of key in on three things that happen to all of us, all human beings as we age. The first is the notion of chronic vascular inflammation. Quite simply, we have 100,000 heartbeats every day normally. So I'll slap. You can hear that, maybe. Yeah. But that's mm -hmm. the sound of blood coursing through your arteries 100,000 times. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you smack your hand 100,000 times a day, you're going to tear the skin off of it by the end of the day. But that happens in all of our arteries every single day naturally. So we have trauma to the lining of our arteries naturally. The lining of the arteries stretch they tear, and we heal that. We have a natural healing process. As a matter of fact, those of us who heal more aggressively do well, but that healing is what results in plaque. On the outside, you slap your skin, you're going to what? Get scabs and scars. And on the inside, we grow plaque. It is a result of natural inflammation. So plaque growth in arteries is not a disease, it is a natural function of aging. Oh, but this is still the leading cause of death, so we don't necessarily want plaque growth, even if it's inevitable. And see, we used to talk a lot about risk factors. And uh, the risk factors, the major risk factors, diabetes, smoking, high cholesterol, uh, higher blood pressure, and of course your genetics. But we are trying to back away from the whole notion of saying risk factor. Because if you say risk factor, people think, ooh, it's a question of chance. Maybe mm -hmm. if I'm lucky and I'll miss this. You're not, you're not going to miss. And everyone thinks they're going to be the lucky one, right? Exactly. Oh, I think I'll miss Tuesday. It doesn't work that way. Age is coming. And you have chronic vascular aging. So we like to say, look, vascular aging is not a question of risk. It's a matter of time. Okay, but we can influence that. We can slow down vascular aging with our lifestyle choices. We, you have plenty of people who talk about that, and I know you know about that. We all know we don't smoke. That's the biggest thing. But what if we want to stop vascular aging? Can you do that? And the answer is actually yes, you can. You have to work with your doctor and say, gosh, do I need to stop my vascular aging and how can I do that? And the answer is, yeah, I can see the health of your arteries if I look, meaning you can ultrasound arteries, you can look for the degree of plaque. I'll tell you, just a few minutes ago, I saw a 50-year-old woman, marathoner, delightfully healthy, terrible family history, meaning she has a genetic predisposition to premature vascular aging. And I looked at her arteries. I used an ultrasound just to look at the arteries leading to the, her brain. It's like, look, you already have vascular aging. You have visible plaque in your arteries. You're as thin as a rail, have a perfect diet, and you literally run every day. But you, you, you can't change your genetics, and time has passed. So now what? Fine. Have a, have a statin. That's what statins do. Statins arrest vascular aging. They prevent plaque growth. They can cause regression of plaque. 
And you do that so that you don't interrupt the blood flow to the brain. In the 1900s, we talked about blockages. This is not about blockages. It's like having rust in your pipes. You need to stay clean on the inside. If you don't stay clean on the inside, little bitty clots like to form on the rough edges of our arteries. And guess what? When they break free, they land somewhere. And if they're in your arteries going to your brain, that's how you have a stroke. So this woman is perfectly healthy, perfectly healthy, but she's human. And so I gave her a little bit of a statin, resuvastatin, atorvastatin, some whatever. All the statins work, and they stop vascular aging. Notice, I didn't say a word about cholesterol. This is not the 1900s. Cholesterol is almost a distraction. We don't treat cholesterol anymore. We treat people. And if your arteries have higher risk, if they have vascular aging and plaque, you can take a medication to stop that. There are folks in the 1900s who used to really key on the notion to say being healthy means I don't take medications, and that's actually probably now entirely backwards. Yeah, there are things we do to stay fit and healthy that are a person's individual responsibility, but then you, the world of science has the ability to help and say, look, time has passed. You're not immune from time. You're 50, you're 60, you're 70, you're 80, you're 90. It's never too late. You have vascular aging. I can, I can smooth that artery out. You take a pill. If I meet somebody who's already on a statin, then the likelihood that they have healthy arteries is so much greater than if they're not. And so you could say, does that mean everybody needs a pill? The answer is everybody deserves the right to know the health of their arteries. And eventually, if your arteries are aging, yeah, you can take a pill to stop that. So how do you know? You, you don't. You cannot look on the, there's all these articles now we get in the pit. Hey, this husband of a young executive dropped dead on a treadmill. Okay. That means he looked good on the outside, but he didn't know how he looked on the inside. You can do that. You can mm -hmm. ask your doctor. This is where we come in. Sorry. You need our help a little bit. Ask your no, doctor. I'm, I'm, I'm having a gym fix moment. <laughs> exactly. Do you know his family's history? Oh my gosh. He had horrendous genetics. Everybody in his family had premature atherosclerosis in a big way. He outlived all of his siblings and he stayed as fit as he can be. He slowed down the clock. So for our listeners who don't know, Jim Fix back in the 80s was a very avid runner and he really clearly demonstrated that there's a lot we can do for ourselves. But you, your mother nature always wins. And when you understand that vascular aging is just that, it's a natural process, we can, we can work together with our, our doctor to say, help me understand my vascular health. There's a lot of ways to do that. You, there's many different scans and whatnot, even blood tests that suggest people who are going to have aging arteries sooner. Now, if Jim Fix had been on a statin in the 1970s, which of course didn't exist, most likely he never would have grown plaque. Mm -hmm. And he'd still be here and still be running. I got 87 year olds still running at least half marathons. And so <laughs> I have a 96 year old woman who's complaining that uh, she has to play doubles tennis now because she can't play singles tennis. But <laughs> this is true, all true stories. These, these are folks who have been very interactive and to say, look, I recognize I'm getting older. I want to be healthy. I want to manage my natural aging. So I did mention there are three things that happen to all of us. One, chronic vascular inflammation means atherosclerosis plaque. That one's easy. We can just flat out stop that if you can take a statin. For the people who can't take a statin, there are other things we can do that are a lot harder, but almost everybody can take a statin when it's the right time. 
The second thing that happens to all of us uh, is we lose vascular compliance, meaning our arteries stiffen. This has to do with collagen in our pipes. Mm, mm-hmm. Stiffer pipes mean higher pressure. So here's another great shocker. Blood pressure is a number. It's not a disease. You ha- you right. <laughs> blood pressure, it's a number. What really matters is our blood flow, our circulation. And a young person has a very, very stretchy pipe. Women in particular. Women and men are very different in the age in very different ways, particularly in this respect. And so if you get a stiffer pipe, you're going to have higher pressure. This is why I like to point out that I was a physics major. I I really know nothing about biology, but I do know something about pumps and pipes and fluid flow. You need to have blood flowing. And if everyone's pipes get stiffer, stiffer pipes mean higher pressure, why exactly do we care? And people say, oh, high blood pressure is bad. Well, why? And the reason is higher blood pressure means your heart has to work harder. Higher pressure, and you can also beat up other things, but you increase your cardiac work. What we really need to know is how well is your blood flowing and how much work is our heart under? Because when a heart is overworked, it will change. The muscle starts to thicken or stretch and lose its function in several different ways. And you know what? You don't feel that. This is why we always call heart disease the, quote, silent killer. Mm -hmm. It's silent because the things that can really hurt us don't give us symptoms until it's kind of a little late. It's silent, but it's not invisible. You can see all this stuff, but you have to look. So then again, this is the cooperation with your, your doctor, your hopefully invasive preventive doctor who says, look, I'm not just going to eyeball you at the door and say, yeah, you look good, you run. No, 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 no. What is your vascular health? Are your arteries getting stiffer? And I could go on a lot about the difference between women and men because men's arteries stiffen quite steadily, usually starting about the age of 40, and our pressure begins to rise. Naturally, we all ignore it, and by the time we're 60, our (laughs) hearts so beat up, we have all sorts of problems. Women are much more flexible. Women are, there's so many things women do more efficiently than men do, but that's a whole (laughs) other topic. But if you imagine a pregnant woman has a tremendous increase in blood volume, a woman's arteries and blood vessels are are much more flexible and maintain that flexibility usually until about 10 years or so after menopause. Then there's a rapid catch-up and they get really stiff all of a sudden. Mm. And you know what? We don't even measure blood pressure the way we think we do. Because if you wrap a cuff around a woman's arm and you, and you pump it up and she's, let's say, 75 years old, you're really just measuring the stiffness of her artery, not the pressure inside. And then you get some number and it's really high and everybody panics. And then 20 minutes later, it's really low. And so there's a little more to it than a number. So another thing we like to emphasize at the foundation, we're all individual. We don't treat numbers, you treat people. And this is a process. And any number that you might think you hear about yourself has to be put into context of what that means for you. So stiffer pipes mean higher pressure. Higher pressure means more cardiac work and that will change the heart. And when you change the heart, the heart has a very hard time maintaining a regular rhythm, which ties into the third thing that happens to all of us as we age. And that's that our tempo, 
our heart's natural timekeeper ages. We tend to get slower and that encourages irregularity. So think about going to the gym and you see the wall chart there, right? And it's this line that goes downhill. What is your expected heart rate with age? And you see this line going downhill. And you think, gosh, I get older, everything goes downhill. Look, <laughs> it's true. But you look at this chart and say, look, if I'm 70, my heart's not going to, I'm not going to run as fast as when I'm 17. And that's actually not what this chart is telling us. This chart's telling us at 70, your ability to increase your heart rate is going to decline. Your heart's going to be slower. I, like I said, I have people over 80 who can run circles around me. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. I'm not over 80. So just because we get older, everybody's heart does get slower. And you know what? There's nothing we can do about that. You can exercise all you want. You can eat all the, the, the vegetables you want. The electrical system declines. And when it does, especially in a heart that has been slightly overworked by higher pressure, the heart has a real hard time being regular. And when you have a sustained irregularity, we call that atrial fibrillation. Now, you may have heard of that because we advertise about it. And why do we care? A very recent study published this last October 2021 looked at 70-year-olds. And we can monitor people's heart rates for very long periods of time. It's wonderful technology. I mean, for years. And if you give someone one of these monitors and ask, how many of you had atrial fibrillation? And all that was required is that you were 70 years old and have a history of high blood pressure, which is everybody. 30% had periods of atrial fibrillation. And 90% of those people didn't realize it because it was asymptomatic. The symptoms did not predict risk of anything, but they still had atrial fibrillation. So is that a tree falling in the forest? Do we even care? And the answer is we have several other studies that demonstrated that as little as five or six minutes of atrial fibrillation, whether you feel it or not, will double your risk of a stroke. Atrial fibrillation is about a heart kind of beating in an irregular way. And when it's irregular, blood does not flow as smoothly through it. And if it doesn't flow as smoothly, it can pool in the corners and clot. A stroke is fundamentally a blood clot in the brain. And if you form a clot in your heart and it leaves your heart and lands in your brain, that's a stroke. If you have plaque in your arteries and you form a little clot along this rough edge, not blockage, just the rough edge, and it goes to your brain, that's a stroke. And you see, all of these things happen naturally over time, even if we do everything right. To be clear, fitness does a lot to maintain the health of the heart and prevent a heart from failing. Fitness is really important. I have a pill for almost everything, but I don't have a pill for fitness. We got to <laughs> do that, you know? And diabetes, or the metabolic mismatch, that we get when we consume calories that we're not genetically suited to metabolize. Diabetes significantly accelerates vascular aging. And that's where understanding nutrition and being fit and understanding your own lifestyle makes an enormous difference. But you can be gym fixed. You can do everything right. And you're still going to have the effects of time.
which means you need to know the health of your heart, your arteries, and you need to know your rates and rhythms. Because who do you know who had a stroke, uh, walked around and said, gosh, I, I think I feel plaque in my arteries. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something we feel. And in the 21st century, the most important aspect of, quote, heart disease is atrial fibrillation, not plaque and heart attacks. We can prevent that. Take a statin. Don't smoke. You're not going to have a heart attack. It's really kind of that simple. Heart failure is not one thing. It's any reason why your heart's not meeting your needs. And the biggest reason, really, is the timing. Are we developing irregular heartbeats? Is that interfering with our heart's function? And is our pressure higher than we know? Oh, my blood pressure is fine when I sit here. I just have, quote, white coat hypertension. Well, did anyone check your blood pressure while you were walking on a treadmill? If you have stiff arteries, it's going to be really high. And the next thing you know, you're going to overwhelm your heart. So we like to make the point. We're supposed to age. That's a good thing. Aging is a very well-understood, predictable thing. And if it's predictable, that mean, means it's measurable and manageable. And if we don't manage it well, then you beat up your arteries, you beat up your heart. The next thing you know, uh, you're interrupting the blood flow to the brain. And that's a stroke. Or the cousin to a stroke is what we call vascular dementia, where we lose cognitive function. It's Alzheimer's is a, its own thing, which is a specific neurologic process that we're just getting to begin to understand. Vascular dementia is where our blood flow to the brain isn't adequate. Guess what? Uh, the, if you have both issues, that's really not a good thing for brain function. Now, I have no wisdom on how to prevent or treat Alzheimer's, but you, you don't need a reason to try to have good circulation to the brain. We all want to have good circulation to the brain. And so, again, that was one of the driving factors behind Dr. Thomas really was the founder of the Foxhall Foundation. And its original purpose was really helping a community here in Washington, this is about a decade ago, with, with cognitive impairment. How on earth did a cardiologist get involved? So much of our cognitive impairment, so much of our dementia has a vascular component. And they, they would, my wife, Dr. Thomas, would look at me and say, you're the cardiologist. Can't you keep blood flowing <laughs> to the brain? And our poor neurologists, you know, they're trying hard to work with these issues, but they're not circulation docs. Like what a neurologist is going to tell you, yeah, go fix your heart. That, that's not their job. That's ours. But the cardiology community, nobody told us that we're the stroke prevention doctors, but we kind of are. Because a stroke is a cerebrovascular accident. Cerebral brain, vascular circulation, mm -hmm. accidents and accidents. So who who are the cardio cerebral who are the vascular doctors? They're they're your cardio cardiologists by and large. But we we are not so excited about doing prevention, which is why we encourage all of our patients to own their own health. Work with your doctor. Say, look, um, we have this paradigm. We call it, it's de-heart, as in it's de-heart, dummy, pay attention. That's for us, for the cardiology. <laughs> the D is for doctor. You, you, we can't see our own health on the inside without help from a doctor. We should all have a relationship with a primary doctor. 
because, you know, we don't expect everyone to go to medical school. And if you rely on Dr. Google, yeah, that's fraud. <laughs> and so you have a relationship with a doctor and you say, H-A-R-T, H, how's my heart? And how do I know? That's you, lots of ways, questions, examinations, EKG, ultrasound. That's not hard to do. A, what are my arteries like? And how do I know? Again, knowing your, your lifestyle, your blood tests, your tendency towards diabetes, yes, your cholesterol level, did you smoke? And then looking, usually with an ultrasound, you can use CAT scans it, or whatever. It makes sense for you because if you have plaque, you need to stop that. R, what are my rates and rhythms? Is my heart getting too slow? Is it too irregular? Do I have AFib and don't actually know it? T, is it time to do something? Is it time for me to make decisions to change what I'm doing? Is it time for my doctor to ask me to take a pill? Should I be on a statin? The answer is probably yes. Do I need a stroke prevention medication? That's our new way of thinking about it. What is your stroke prevention medication? We used to tell everybody, take an aspirin. Everybody. Well, it turns out that that recommendation came from the 1980s where we didn't have statins and everybody smoked. And if you gave everybody aspirin, the reduction in heart attack rates was so great that we told everyone to take an aspirin. It's amazing well, that that's still around. Well, but it's that there's validity to it. And when you, the study was repeated in Australia, looking mostly at men who were all on statin therapy, the stroke and heart attack rate was so low in your 50 and 60 year olds that adding aspirin didn't really make any difference. However, anybody who actually had vascular aging was understandably excluded from that. And so when, when NPR and all the press reported the first part of our rec recommendation, they didn't get to the second part, the warnings. And people heard, oh, aspirin is bad. No, we never said aspirin was bad. We just said aspirin is no longer compulsory in 40-year-olds. But if you have arterial aging, aspirin is essential for stroke prevention. When those stories came out, at least two of my patients stopped their aspirin, promptly had heart attacks. One of them almost died. And oh I said, goodness. who told you to stop your aspirin? And they said, I heard it on the radio. I said, the radio is not your doctor. I'm your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and so it is true that we used to Stop listening to oh. Dr. Radio and stop <laughs> listening to Dr. Google. You can, you can listen, but then go ahead and ask questions to your, your actual doctor. Okay, let's right. put it this way. Don't stop. Your meds. Without <laughs> don't, checking with your doctor first. There you go. Don't don't stop your meds. Exactly. And so one of the 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 interesting points of that that whole question about aspirin was they looked at event rates, meaning how often did something happen? How often did you have a bleed versus how often did you have debilitating permanent brain injury? And so you have to ask yourself what's what matters to me? Like, I'm sorry, if I get nosebleeds, that's kind of a drag, but I'd much rather deal with nosebleeds uh, or bruising than I'd want to have to deal with having my loved one with a permanent brain injury. Because we forget that most strokes are not lethal. 80% of strokes are just debilitating. And that's a, a point, you know, clotting is what kills us. 
if you look at the leading causes of death, um, yeah, clotting is really accounts for most of it. And you're not going to see hemorrhage on the list. We don't want people to bleed. Yeah, I get it. But bleeding is a treatable thing. But if you cut off the blood flow of the brain and you kill the brain, you may not ever get that back. So you have to ask yourself, what's, what's my priority? Do I want to protect the blood flow to the brain? What is my stroke prevention medication if I need one? Do I even need one? And the answer is, you may not. You may be fit. You may be young. You may, in my world, young means you're under 70. <laughs> this is true. I, I can spend in my entire, if you do preventive cardiology long enough, you end up doing geriatric cardiology because people do well. And so we now have a large collection in Washington of our 80, 90, and now 100-year-old patients living well, being proactive, understanding what they can do, how they stay fit and active, and what we as their doctors need to do for them, which is understand how they're aging. We're no longer telling people, you have a bunch of diseases. We're telling them, look, you're naturally aging. Let me help you with that. Now, Josh. Mm-hmm. Is there a website for the Fox Hall Foundation? Sure. Um, what kind of, of work are you doing out there in the community that people could, uh, anything that they could attend? or? So the uh, foxhallfoundation.org, the, it's a nonprofit organization. If you do one thing, get a hold of our book and read it. You know, it's a very simple, quick, conversational book meant to be shared. And what it really is, is a collection of everything that we've been talking about. It's a guideline to how to navigate your own health. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. Please support your local retailer, or you can get it get probably it. at your public library. Uh, maybe. I actually, if it, if I've it's heard not, of public just, libraries. I remember those back in the yeah, 1900s. If, it, if, it, if it's not there, Ask them to carry it. And I was so pleased when I went and looked up the book that you have it. It's in, in uh, audio format, pap uh, paperback, um, yes. everything. Kindle, and again, it's everything. The, uh, every, all those proceeds turn back into the foundation. And so you asked what else we can do. It, in locally, we do things uh, nationally, regionally, and locally. Locally, we created a, a wellness center. Because like I mentioned before, I can give you a pill for all sorts of things, but you need to be fit. You have to do that. And getting up and moving and staying fit is such an important thing. Of course, opening up fundamentally an exercise facility at the start of a pandemic was just a wonderful stroke <laughs> of luck. And so we, we, we changed the floor plan to make a huge open space. It's located in Chevy Chase, uh, for those of us, those listening who are local in the Washington area. And they have a growing number of classes now that we're coming out of the pandemic for people of all capabilities. And what I mean by that is like one of our first partnerships was with the Parkinson's Foundation to help people move. We have a little slogan that says everybody can move. If you're in a wheelchair, you can move. We had a yoga class for people in wheelchair. I mean, you can, whatever it is you can do, we need to help you do it. So that's a growing thing that's marvelous. We do have plans for uh, community events. Again, we're, we're a very conservative, at least medically conservative bunch about having groups of people gather. But soon enough, we'll, we'll try to do that. Also, we link to, uh, we have a lot of videos posted. 
You can go to YouTube, search Foxhall Foundation, and you'll see a couple of dozen videos. Some of them are just instructional, like stroke prevention, the short course. And we also have a series of weekly updates done by Dr. Thomas called This Week in Medicine. As the medical news is constantly changing, particularly with the pandemic, Mm-hmm. It can be really hard to synthesize that. So to be honest, we were trying to cut down on all of our phone calls to say, look, everybody needs to know this. <laughs> and she is just brilliant. Tries send to put them, those send out. them a link to the video. Exactly. And we also, the foundation has sponsored a nutritionist who's just marvelous. Because as you might imagine, um, nutrition is incredibly important, but not well covered by insurance. And so we have had some astonishingly generous donors who've basically made it possible for us to provide at least a one-time nutrition assessment for kind of anybody who who asks. Uh, and of course, she's somebody who could meet with you in person or even she does things online So there's a, or remotely. So there's a lot of flexibility. Now, we do a lot of programs. Uh, for whatever reason, people like to fly me around the country. I think it's because they want to get me out of Washington. (laughs) (laughs) So I've seen a lot of interesting places. And now that the world is opening back up, I've had a lot of fun. I've been able to talk at a lot of professional society meetings. And again, here's the the message. One, we need to get out of the 1900s and look at our patients as people who are going to naturally age. How do we manage that? Rather than saying everybody has a disease, say, well, what's the process? atherosclerosis and plaque. What's the process? Stiffening arteries and hypertension. What's the process? An aging conduction system, a slowing heart and irregularity. And how do we evaluate that? And stop making everyone feel bad about themselves and stop thinking that it's either all on your doctor or all on the person. No, it's a cooperative effort. And so when we do our stroke prevention talks, and we also, as I mentioned, we've have a growing population that is just living very well. And we have been collecting data on that. So we do have some research initiatives because in fact, we do have some of the, the most active older folks in the country. And what we have at the foundation is long-term data because we've tracked people now for more than a decade to say, look, you, you mentioned earlier, and I was half joking when you say, oh, it's too late. Let's write them off. No, you know, whoever you are, we can, you can be met to where you are and to say, well, where are you going and how do I help you get there? And we have long-term data. So we're starting to publish some of that data. One of the things that's becoming quite clear is that as we get older, meaning 70 to 80 and beyond, the heart does slow down. That becomes very important because we don't circulate blood as well. And our athletes, have a lot more atrial fibrillation and a lot of trouble with a slow heart. And you know what? That's, it's not your fault. That's not a disease. It's just who you are. But I can help you with that so that you maintain good, good circulation. So you can see what we're doing at foxhallfoundation.org. There's a link to the YouTube channel or just go to YouTube. Click subscribe. I hear that's a good thing. (laughs) um, You know, listen to this podcast. We should hopefully be able to link to that from the foundation. And uh, read the book. You don't even have to buy it. Just read it. Get a a free one from uh, Audible or something like that. And just, just read it. 
Oh, that's wonderful. Um, just one last thing before we go. You're, you were talking a little bit about the future where we're trying to move into the future of medicine, right? Um, so what is the future of research in this area? What are you looking forward to coming out? So that's a terrific question. The future of research in an aging population. Now, uh, if you go to our foundation, you'll see some of our talks about building a healthy future. And Dr. Thomas has devised her paradigm we call the pyramid of health. And there's all these different building blocks. Again, the interactive work between individuals and the healthcare system. And so for me, from a cardiovascular standpoint, and the research we're looking at is understanding how the paradigm shift from the disease model to the process model changes things and how intervening can make a difference to future outcomes. Specifically, the rhythms. What I mean by that, atrial fibrillation, everybody labels as this horrible disease, but you know what? It might be better to call it not a disease, but a description of how an older heart beats. And there are more options to managing it than one might think. And to get away from this notion that blood pressure is a disease and to have the data that clearly demonstrates what matters is blood flow. Now, blood flow, this is a slightly technical and a little bit tricky thing. Pressure is easy to measure. Everybody's heard about it. But you actually have to deliver blood. And, and pressure without flow doesn't help. And so there's still a lot of resistance to people thinking in terms of flow because they don't have a, that intuitive grasp unless you think about it. Hey, I, if the blood's not flowing, it's not flowing. And then quite specifically, the strategies to optimize blood flow to the brain to really help us preserve brain function that otherwise would be lost. And again, we actually have a lot of that observational data. For example, I've seen a lot of 70-year-old, mostly men, with really slow hearts who are convinced that, yeah, that's, I'm slow because I'm an athlete. Well, you know what? If your heart rate is zero, you're dead. <laughs> if your heart rate is 20 beats a minute, you're probably almost dead. If your heart rate is 40 beats a minute, you're either well on your way to being dead or you're an Olympic athlete. And so context matters. And we're seeing a lot of these men and women, women have other issues that are important. We're really understanding the differences. But to actually demonstrate when you don't have adequate blood flow to the brain, the brain really suffers. Even if you never feel bad, you just wake up 10 years later and you're completely demented. But we saw that coming. And you stubbornly held on to this notion that a heart rate of 30 or 40 beats a minute means like you're, you're an Olympic track star, but you're now 75 years old. That doesn't make you an Olympic track star. And how can you convince folks that you need to have a heartbeat? And sometimes it seems vaguely obvious, but it's a, a, astonishing how much resistance people will have to this notion to say, there's nothing wrong with me. Why do you want to give me a pacemaker? Because your heart's not beating. The, I never said you had heart disease. I just said you're too slow. And so the, the research that we are setting out and others are looking at, how to identify folks who are going to benefit in the future? 
And therein lies the challenge, because what are you going to do? Randomize? Hey, you get a pacemaker, you don't. Let's see how you <laughs> right. did in 10 years. It's hard to do that. So our, our data sets are really making it kind of clear. And that's, I think, one of the most exciting things about the future. Because you know what? Yes, there are a lot of problems and challenges in the world. And technically, life expectancy has gone down a little bit. But that's not from the things that we know how to deal with. Meaning, heart disease is the number one killer. But what that's really saying is growing old is the number one cause of growing old. So can <laughs> we research that better with an eye towards a longer horizon? And not just be focused on immediate disease treatment, but managing a process for a lifetime. Well, that seems like the perfect way to end. And we are out of time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh. Oh, it's been my pleasure. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.